Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. As usual, we have Tracy Newman and my good friend Dan Bentley. And we're really happy today to be joined by Nevis Zarafa from the Continents Foundation. So Nevis, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's so good to have you here. We always like to start off with a, a nice, easy question. If you could just tell us a little bit more about who it is that you are and what you do. I work for the Continents Foundation. I worked for them quite a number of years, probably too too long, but no, it's been quite enjoyable and I've learned so much. I'm the coordinator of access and information, and that looks at management and coordination of our resources that we have available. We also look at innovative projects that we can um, develop in order to improve accessibility and engagement of our resources as well. Access and information sort of embedded in the health promotion team. So we really have a focus on prevention and early intervention. And so that's probably the direction we are wanting to move more and more towards. Which is a perfect segue because that's what you're here to talk to us about today, isn't it? One of the projects that you've done, which is all about innovation and access and early intervention. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So it's really funny. We had this conversation, I think it was about a year ago. We were told, let's transform. Let's not just think innovatively, but let's just transform the entire access and information portfolio. And it was like a light bulb starting to go off in my colleague, John, and my head. And so we started thinking of different ways we can transform what we do. And one of the ideas is not using language as a form of communication. And I'm sorry if I botched this up in terms of how I explain it, but please, this is the best of my ability. In computer, that there is a concept called neutral, where you use programs that are sort of versatile that can work with many other computer languages. And so that's what we're thinking about a no language resource or concept where it can reach multiple communities out there that are marginalized and that we haven't reached quite well, that maybe this is a a segue that we can go and sort of, you know, send them the message that something can be done about it. I think that's really fascinating. And that's one of the the really exciting parts about innovation is that whole idea of taking an idea and applying it somewhere totally diverse. But when you actually look at, well, what's the important element here? It is about, you know, increasing access by making something available to a broader range of people. So I really like that idea. But I'm going to say, looking at the idea of creating a communication without language, like where did you start? You know, often people talk about transforming and new ideas and things like that. But like, what was that sort of first point? We've got resources that are easy, uh, easy English. So it's material that's presented in a really simple, easily understood way. So really short sentences, making sure sentences that are appropriate to the level of the reader. And we've also done animation as well, but we use obviously uh, language. So we've gone down that path because we discovered along the way that particularly when you're dealing with sensitive topics that are highly stigmatized and incontinence is a classic for that, animation is probably the best way to convey the message 
that you would want. So I've seen resources that just are quite pictorial, that have minimal words in order to, like, for example, sequence cards in terms of guiding people how to use the toilet or other toileting habits. So I've seen that in the past. So we thought, okay, we'll pull on those sort of ideas and elements and think about, okay, let's really think of something that's no language and let's take it to work with consumers as to what that looks like. We don't have the answers, obviously. So let's see if what answers they come up with and what really speaks loudly to them. I love that. So can you tell us a little bit more about that process? You had a meeting with us to work out where we were coming from and what we needed and some of our reservations. And once we sort of tabled that, we started looking at sourcing the consumers and we did that through social media. We had a really tight time frame. So we sourced a, a range of consumers from social media, particularly Facebook. And we really wanted to cast out widely. So we weren't looking for people just with lived experience of incontinence, but also people without the lived experience. So we don't get any biases. And that was really important for me that we factored in diversity and Having incontinence or not having incontinence was one factor of the diversity that we were keen on, but looking at different age groups, looking at genders, looking at different backgrounds. So we're looking at diversifying the consumers that we were bringing in as much as possible. We basically approached Facebook and send out the invitation and we got a quite a lot. I think we got about 97 responses to that invitation. And then it was just basically filtering through as to who will probably be the best candidates to join our workshop. That's what we were trying to, we inviting them to, was a workshop. <laughs> yeah. And my understanding was too, that the reason why you wanted people that had symptoms and, and that didn't have any experience with it too, was that what you were trying to communicate with them was, here's sort of the top three or so different you know, scenarios that you could be in and that there is help that you can seek. So it was really important that some of those people, you might be planting a seed for some people as well to know that when this does happen, you can get assistance, not just those people that it's already kind of happening to. Was that right? Yeah. People with experience are very receptive to the message. They get it immediately. And we didn't want something that alienated people that didn't get it, that don't have incontinence. And we wanted to make sure the message was framed in a way that it was understood by everyone. And considering that uh, there are many people that do not even know what incontinence is. And so we really wanted to bypass any misconceptions and any lack of understanding. So yeah, that was really important for us. I think the other thing is the incredibly large amount of people who have symptoms that don't seek any assistance. I think in some aspects, in some of the, the studies, it's almost as high as 75% of people who have experienced symptoms just assume that it's part of aging or part of childbirth or kind of like a natural part of life, whereas there is often treatment available. So that was the other part that we really wanted to make sure that people got to see these are the things that you should be looking out for, but that there's also that safe assistance available. Yeah, it's a bit sad that people are not comfortable, but we would like to encourage people to speak up to someone that is trusted, but also someone that has the medical expertise as well, that they can do something about it because there's so many different forms of treatment and the conservative approach where you do your pelvic floor muscle exercises to really strengthen uh, your pelvic floor muscles, which prevents leakage. They don't actually have to live with incontinence in many cases, and it can actually be prevented, it can actually be cured in some cases, and it can be better managed. And that's what we are trying to let people know. 
So when you set out before you were inviting these people to the workshops and getting them involved, what were some of the measures of success that you needed to get out of this project to know that you'd done a good job? The measures were, obviously, we needed to have a sufficient number. So we had a number in our head of how many people we wanted to attend, but also the a number of different types of participants. So as I spoke about before the diversity, we really wanted to make sure that was factored in. So that was another measure for us. What else, Tracy? What else was there? Well, in terms of overall success, it's about how successful the message was in conveying what to look for and that there's that safe assistance available. Yeah, the people engaged with whatever message was actually sent out and how well it was received, particularly during the testing phase, how clearly it communicated what we wanted it to communicate. So yeah, there were a couple of those sort of measures. Great. We had some workshops and we co-designed a resource. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about those workshops and about what it was that we created through those workshops? Yeah, it was quite interesting. It's quite interesting. One thing that really struck me in the workshops, we had two workshops and it was to talk about what incontinence is, but also to collect ideas and start the prototyping process where we start refining the ideas into something that we could actually produce. And in the first workshop, I was blown away by how candid people were, how they were just freely express the experiences they had. They were just bursting to tell us their story. And there were a few people there that actually said they've never spoken about this to anyone. And so people want to tell their story. People want to talk to someone about this. It's just allowing them to feel safe enough for them to express their thoughts and their stories. So I think that was a very big tick that they actually did feel safe enough to do that. And then they felt free enough to come up with ideas and they were really delighted to do so. They're being heard. And I think there was such a buzz about that, that ideas were just flowing. And that was really encouraging, I found. That was particularly in this first workshop. In the second workshop, it was probably a bit more hard work. (laughs) You had to convert the ideas into some sort of prototype. But the participants were keen to learn, so that was really good. And I found that the ideas that they came up with weren't the ideas that I would have come up with, and I found that quite fascinating particularly like storytelling, that was the the big theme is they wanted to tell stories about symptoms and they wanted to use body parts to tell those stories and the animated was the way that they wanted to go as well. Whatever they produced, they wanted to be inclusive. They didn't want to have any identifiable features that would alienate anyone. So they want everybody to be able to relate to the characters in the story and to the story itself. It was really good. It wouldn't have been what I would have thought or picked, but it was something that worked and it seemed to have worked in the testing phase as well where people picked it up and were able to play back the message to us so we knew that they understood. That's really interesting as well. So I think one of the things that I saw in the workshop was there were two things. One was the power of breaking people into those smaller groups for that story sharing because it meant that even some of the people who potentially didn't have any experiences to share or might not have felt as comfortable talking in front of the larger group were able to sort of get more comfortable sharing stories and more comfortable relating to each other. And then when we came back together as a larger group, what we saw was that people had had some successful experiences of sharing their stories and then they were really comfortable sharing them in the larger group. So we were able to build off of that 
understanding and draw out all those different perspectives. And I think that was one of the things that happened in the prototyping as well. Um, people got quite excited and really developed those ideas in those smaller groups when they were prototyping. And you're right, it's certainly challenging getting people to create things in that online format with varying different levels of confidence around technology and varying different levels of knowledge and understanding of how to bring a concept to life whilst still making sure that it's within the parameters of what it was that we were looking to design. For example, we didn't want language to be, that was an important design element of what we were looking to prototype, but it was very easy for for the groups to, as they started creating things, to then add language in because we're so used to having language. (laughs) I think one of the ideas in one of the small groups was um, coming up with a song and I went, you're using words. (laughs) You can't put words to a jingle. It doesn't quite make the brief. Not only did they want a jingle, but they were, were actually using sort of pop culture references in the jingle that, again, doesn't necessarily mean anything to people outside of that sort of cultural group. That's right. And can I say, Tracy, you did a fantastic job in facilitating those workshops. It's not until you get in there that you realise you have to manage different people's expectations, perspectives, and various levels of experience in this sort of environment as well. And on top of that, the technology issues, not that we had too many, but they they, they were a little. You did that so well. Can I say that? Because <laughs> I would have been like, what do I do here? <laughs> I wasn't involved directly in this project, but I was, you know, constantly getting updates from Tracy around how it was going. And I think one of the key challenges for us was, was to do this online. And the reason why is because it was at a part in the pandemic where we were seeing a spike again in COVID cases. So it was a real necessity because of safety to do this online. But I think originally when we planned this out, our goal wasn't to actually do it online. So we did have to switch that quite quickly, just I think it was a week or so before those workshops to ensure that, you know, the people we were talking to were safe. So kudos to both of you guys for making that work as well in such a short amount of time, because, you know, this workshop probably would have been a bit easier face-to-face than it would have been online, but still managed to get it done. It didn't prevent us getting the the gold, the gems either. So it was just yet to manage it differently, that's all. And and the other great part about doing something in an online format is it does mean then that you can have it at a sort of a later time of day and not have to worry about, you know, people's transport home and things like that. But also you're able to have people ride across Australia. So that was another great point that we were able to then include people outside of Victoria in that conversation as well. If you're loving what you're hearing on our podcast, you should join us for one of our live events where we cover how you can build a more innovative and impactful organisation. We also have our very popular Co-Design for Impact Masterclass where I'll teach you how to run your own co-design projects and how to set them up for success. Spots are limited, so grab your ticket to this and our other events at impactoconsulting.com.au slash events. We've sort of covered off a little bit about, you know, the workshop process and we managed to create those prototypes. Do you want to talk us through what we did after that point? Then a designer actually helped 
provide some illustrations in order to develop those prototypes. And we then looked at having them tested. But we actually sent out an invitation to the participants in the small group to join a a small co-design team that will then help us with the decision-making in the next phases. And there were a couple of people that put up their hands, which was really good. So when we came up with the designs, they were the first ones to have a look at those designs and provide us with what they thought. And we were able to make some changes there before we start taking out to the other participants that we invited in the testing phase. So we went through to Facebook again, and there was a real need to make sure we had a diverse range of participants in the testing phase to accommodate any biases that we may have had in the workshop because we had too many older Anglo-Saxon type women where we wanted probably more male and more younger people and particularly people that didn't have experience with incontinence. We really wanted to target those. So when we did our recruitment drive, we actually targeted the invitation to those segments for much longer when we had the ads on Facebook. So we actually did get more males. We did actually get more young people. We actually did get more people from core backgrounds participating in the testing phase, more so than what we had in the workshop. And that was really good, actually, that we were able to accommodate any potential biases that there were in the workshop. And I think that's one of the real key things about uh, testing is that you can do that. I agree. Sometimes people are of the view that if you co-design something, because you've got the community involved, that 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 testing is less important. But the problem with that is that the people who have co-designed something already know what you're trying to achieve. They've already learned all those different perspectives. They've heard the stories. They have a different sort of set of knowledge. And so therefore, it is really important to test it with people that don't know what you're trying to achieve to test whether or not, you know, is this actually on track? And that testing, I think, was really beneficial. And we learned a lot. I know I certainly learned a lot in that testing process. What were some of your highlights? I think for me is that you're taught to be quite clear in your messaging, to be really precise and literal in what you're trying to say. But I found that with this no language resource that it gave people room for interpretation. We produced four storybooks and the participants looked at each storybook and provided us with their feedback. And what I found is that some people, when they were reading the storybook, came out a slightly different rendition of what we were originally planning for or developing, but they weren't too far off. And the interpretation that they applied made sense to them and actually was relatable to them and actually encouraged them to take action because they could relate to the story because it gave them room for interpretation. Whereas if we had words attached to that storyline, I think it would have um, narrowed the room for interpretation. We may not have allowed people to relate to the storyline as much as it did without the language. I think that was the biggest learning curve for me is that there is a need to give people room to make the story relate to them in their own world, in their own perspective, with their own understanding, so they can actually take the action that they do need. And they weren't far off. It wasn't like they were really far off. Like I think one of the storyline was talking about the character sitting in the car and I need to go to the toilet. And there was an image of a toilet that was sort of bubble was growing bigger and bigger. I need to go to the toilet. I really need to go to the toilet. Whereas the other people say, oh, I need to go to the toilet, but where is this toilet? I need to find this toilet, but 
It was more about the urgency. I need to find the toilet rather than where is the toilet? So it's just a slight skew of interpretation, but it still came to the same ending. So that was good learning experience. Yeah, I think the thing that I really got out of the testing that surprised me, and it's one of those things that you intellectually know that people create patterns from what they see. However, to actually see that come to life in the testing was fascinating. As you mentioned, we did some character testing. So we had these two different characters and the slightest part of one of the characters would immediately have people assigning gender, assigning age. So for example, there was one character that was designed to be a very generic character, so no specific demographic attached to it. So we used a a totally made up character so that it wouldn't represent male or female or a particular cultural background or a particular. However, people would look at it and go, oh, that's a male. And I'd be like, oh, okay. Why do you say that? Well, the way that it's got its arms. And they would would look at it and go, well, that's a frog. It's the eyebrows. It was the eyebrows, I'm sure it's of it. The eyebrows, like the tiniest, oh, they've got a stomachache. Oh, what, why do you say that? Or the way they're holding their hands. And it's like all these different pieces that people would pull out of the same character. And it was very common what people would pull out. And it's just that pattern recognition. It's so automatic. And it's really interesting to try and create something that people don't just very quickly assign those demographics to. That's right. And I think the testing phase really highlighted those patterns. And I have to say, I found the testing phase the most interesting phase because of how people read the stories and what they, how they interpreted it. One character was the, the green frog man, as he was referred to. The other one was a, was a bladder, I think. Yeah. Mm, yeah, it was. Some people recognised it was a bladder, which surprised me how many people did pick up it was a bladder, but many people didn't, but it didn't matter. They related to the character, didn't they? That's right. Like, so even people who didn't understand that it was a bladder found the character quite relatable and they quite liked it. They felt that it was a, you know, happy and quite endearing. And even when people didn't understand that it was a bladder, they were still able to understand the messaging that was represented in that story, which I thought was quite yeah, fascinating. Yeah, that's right. They may not have understood incontinence watching the first storyboard but after watching the third or the fourth storyboard they got it (laughs) and they some of them even picked up that it was a bladder character by that time too so once they started viewing more of the stories they actually got the message which was really interesting great we were able to create something that like you was totally different from what i suspected that we might have been able to create and i think we ended up with something that was um, far superior to what I would have been able to create on my own sitting in a room. I like to think that I'm relatively creative. However, the co-design team brought so many great thoughts and ideas to the table that it was really exciting being able to sort of test them all and then pull out through the testing what was most appropriate. But what's the outcome looking like at this point? Okay, well, at the moment, we're looking at designing the prototypes into its final product and I'll be working working with the co-design team with that. And I'll also probably do a mini test to make sure that we still are true to (laughs) the elements of what we discovered in the first testing phase. Then we'll finalise the actual resource and we'll send it out to all the previous participants so they're all able to view it to see what they contributed because I think it's 
important that they know and they see the end result. Oh, oh, look, I actually contributed to this. You know, I helped with that idea. I came up with that idea and rah, rah, rah. I think it's really important that they do see the final product and then we'll probably promote it online because that's the other thing that we, we were looking at. It wasn't just the messaging, but where would they view it? And it came out really loud and clear that YouTube was probably the best platform. So we'll probably look at how to best place the animation videos on YouTube. Were there any other outcomes that you've also had already as well, probably from the testing so far that we could sort of talk about that? I think we had some data from the report. I remember saying that, you know, X amount of people understood the three areas or some like early indication that it was heading in the right direction? Yes. In terms of what Nidus was saying about when people are watching it, they were able to understand the story and they were able to get the actual messaging in in the testing. But I think the other thing that I saw that I thought was quite interesting was because we were able to involve a lot of different areas across the Continents Foundation in this co-design, they were able to hear their stories and able to hear all of those ideas. And there were some other ideas that were produced in those conversations that weren't necessarily going to relate to this project, but that were really helpful for some of the other teams to hear from consumers as well. Yeah, like our Marg comms team at the moment are running a poster campaign at the back of toilet doors and some of the comments or views that are expressed in the workshop sort of reinforced that that was a great way of, of advertising. So that sort of provide that reinforced support for it. But the other thing was in the conversations in the workshop is that when we talked about no language, many people reverted to the idea of symbols to compensate for the lack of language. There was two young men from core background and they came up with a brilliant idea of having a symbol that was like a continence friendly symbol where people could actually display it at, outside their shops or restaurants or or anywhere to sort of encourage people to if you need to use a toilet you can come and use our toilet and I really love that idea in the sense that it sort of gave a welcoming feeling that you know if you've got incontinence it's a-okay we are here to support you so it sort of sort of conveyed a community support and I love that concept I love it but sort of didn't fit within the remit of our brief, but it's something we can look into. And I just think it's such a a nice idea that we could further explore. I agree. I thought that was really beautiful as well. And yeah, acknowledge it didn't quite sit within this project, but again, really great for people right across the Continents Foundation to hear some of these ideas. There was also some really important feedback because a lot of the messaging from the foundation has been that continence isn't normal. It's not a normal part of growing older. And it was really great to get the feedback from participants saying, well, that to me sounds like you're telling me if I have incontinence, I'm not normal. And that that was contributing to the stigma and, you know, even just some small tweaks within the communications now being able to say instead of it's not normal, you know, it's not inevitable. So that was really valuable feedback as well. These are just the benefits, isn't it, of getting the the right people together and, and talking to them, right? You can learn this stuff before any further unintended consequences are done. That's right. It's just so vital just to hear people's feedback, particularly consumers, the people you're targeting, getting their feedback as as to how they're hearing messages and how they're receiving a resource or, or anything. I think it's so important because we come with our own biases, we come with our own perspectives, and it's different to other people's. Particularly, yeah, if you don't have the same experience, I don't have the lived experience that other people have. So it's so important to, to get their input. Great. One thing that we found from the testing is that people are still reluctant to call the our National Continents Helpline. 
they they still wanted to contact anyone or view information online first. It's like they wanted to see what they could can garner and and assist them. And if they really needed to, they would then call the helpline. So having information online on a website is vitally important. It it's really that is the first place that, that people will go to to view information is online. Yes, I think that's that's a really important call out because what the what we were looking to do is let people know that there was safe assistance available and what we discovered in the course of the testing and the course of the co-design is that what people identify as being safe is different and quite commonly what people refer to as being safe is something that they can do by themselves without needing to involve someone else, which is usually that that research and having that information e- easily available for people is really important. And then I think the next step after that is knowing that there are experts that you can speak with. And the other part that came through in the testing as well was that it's important to show that it's not just a sympathetic ear that you're talking to, that it is actually a qualified continence nurse that you're speaking to, because that was also a really important part of it being safe assistance. It was that, you know, that you were speaking to somebody that that has that capability and that training, not just somebody that's going to be able to sort of provide you with some direction. Yeah. The the thing that came out also in the workshop was they many of them thought they were the only ones and I think they were reassured to know that there are many and many, many, like one in four Australians are having continents. That's that's quite a lot. That's <laughs> quite a number of people. I think understanding how prevalent it was, it really opened people's eyes, say, I'm not the only one experiencing this. There are many, many others and not feeling so alone and then there is someone you can talk to that can assist and direct you in the right direction to get help. I think that was very comforting and, and they felt quite supported in that. I think it's so exciting to see an organisation like the Continents Foundation of Australia taking on co-design and innovation in this way because, as you said, quite often the sort of medical information is very, it's very factual, it's very precise, it's very accurate and whilst all of those things are are very important it's also really important to understand how that message is received by people and how people can with that messaging in a more effective way so I, I thought that that was really exciting to to see the continents foundation who do important work have been around a long time they have high levels of capability what can be achieved when you combine that high level of expertise with that voice of lived experience, whether it's the, you know, the lived experience of, of having or not having continents, but just that general lived experience of, well, this is how I take on information and this is what would get me to pay attention and this is what I would hear when receiving that message. So that was really lovely. That was one thing I probably neglected to say in the very beginning is that our resources are very clinically based in the sense that we want to make sure that they are clinically accurate and we lead no one astray, but they're clinically accurate and up to date. But we would like to go the next step in order to make it more engaging is what you're basically saying, Tracy, is make our resources engaging so that people want to read it. So I would love to see a bit, probably more storytelling involved, quotes, you know, from people incorporated in our resources to, to help with that engagement that, oh, okay, I can relate to that story or, oh, yeah, that, 
that quote really speaks to me and hopefully take up reading the rest of the resource and actually do something about it because you don't feel so alone. There are other people experiencing it. And we want to make it dignified as well and respectful. I think that's really important that we are talking to consumers and their needs are equally as important as everyone else's. Which I think, again, is something that we we learned during this process was that humour is good, but it does need to be very respectful and very appropriate. And it's really easy to to sort of divert to humour when, when you're talking about a topic that has stigma attached, but done poorly actually, again, contributes to that stigma. Yeah, that's right. Some people love it and some people don't. <laughs> Yes. So um, you mentioned one in four people do experience symptoms of incontinence. So I guess that that would therefore, you know, translate into quite a number of the people who would be listening to this podcast. So where's the best place for people to go to, to learn more about this? You did mention that you've got a website. Is that the best place for people to go? Yes, we've got a website, continence.org.au, that they can go to. And we've got vast amount of information about incontinence, living with incontinence, where to get help. And we've got videos on there. And yeah, there's so much information that I'm sure you'll find what you need. We also do run or manage a helpline, the National Continence Helpline, and we've got a free call number, which is 1800-33-0066. And when you call that helpline, you will speak to a nurse continence specialist who will be able to give you advice and also help refer you to local services and provide you more information if, if and when needed. Excellent. Thank you. So thank you so much for sharing more about the project. It was really interesting hearing about the workshops and the testing and also, also, you know, really importantly, all the different things that the Continents Foundation have learned throughout this process. Thank you for being really generous in your sharing also around, you know, some of the insights and some of the really funny stories that, that happened along the way. So it's been really great talking with you today and I can't wait to see the final product when it is shared more broadly with the rest of the co-design team. My pleasure, Tracy. <laughs> thank you, Dan. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.